Wow, thank you, Lord. Okay, guys, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, whether you have a Bible, an iPad, an iPhone, an Android, an e-pad, whatever you have your Bible on. You know, I've said I, one of the things I wish they would do in the, all the Bible apps on the phones and the tablets is that they would have a, uh, a noise that when you're flipping the page on the tablet that it would sound like the flipping of pages because I love, I love to hear the flipping of Bible pages when you're preaching. So, uh, just uh, so great to be here today, um, to re- particularly after having your amazing team at Voice of Apostles. I'm telling you, get around. Who, who was at Voice of Apostles? Stand up real quick. Everybody stand up as a Voice of Apostles. All right, you guys get around these guys sometime today and let them lay hands on you because they got a fresh impartation. You can be seated now, so go for it. It just had an amazing time. So today I want to tell you, I, I have absolute confirmed proof now that we live in the age of miracles. I have nine words to tell you that is absolute confirmed proof that we live in the age of miracles. Now get ready for these nine words. The Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. We are from Illinois and we have been diehard Cubs fans for generations. And we die hard every single year, except this year. And I, one of our friends, you know, somebody posted, they, they opened up their Facebook this morning, and they thought something was wrong because every single post was about the Chicago Cubs. And, uh, and uh, I had one of my friends say, I was crying so hard last night when they, when they won the pennant, and I put... Well, don't you remember what Tom Hanks said in the League of Their Own? There is no crying in baseball, except for tonight, because we were all crying. It was awesome. So uh, it's uh, one of the things that you will hear from me always, that I begin every message with, is that we must get a perspective on the time, that is, the kairos moment, that divine season that you and I live in. There is chronos time, which is, which is days, weeks, months, hours, minutes, that is part of the, the daily part of our lives. But then there is a kairos moment, whereas it is a divine moment when God is moving in the earth in a way that he has not moved before. And I want to tell you that I believe we are living in that kairos moment right now. Because I believe that there has never been a time in all of human history that there has been a greater, more empowered day to be a disciple of Jesus Christ than today. A few of you are going to get this in a minute. You need to understand that it's greater than the day that Jesus walked the earth. It's greater than the days of the Acts of the Apostles. It's greater than the days in the 1500s of the Reformation with Martin Luther and John Calvin. It's greater than the days of Azusa Street back in the early 1900s. It's greater than the days in the 1940s and 50s with the great healing revivals. It's greater than the days in the 1960s with the movement of the charismatic movement. It's greater than the day in the 80s with the vineyard movement. It's greater than the days in the 90s with the Toronto Blessing because never before in all of human history, 
are more people from every religion and every background coming to faith in Jesus Christ as is happening today in Jesus' name. There are more churches coming into existence. There are more people getting saved in the 1040 window, which is the window that covers the Muslim and Hindu worlds. There are more villages in Muslim and Hindu countries that are all coming to Jesus in one day because of dreams they're getting of a man in white with his hands and feet pierced that are coming and appearing in their dreams and saying, come to me. And the next day a missionary walks into the village and they all come to him and say, will you tell us about this man in white who has the pierced hands and pierced feet? I'm telling you, this is the greatest day to be a disciple of Jesus and you were made for this moment. It's important that you and I keep an understanding that we really need to have eyes that see and ears that hear in this moment. Because particularly in America, you can get so distracted by all of the noise of all of that which is temporal. You see, you need to understand something. There are two realities. There's the reality that we encounter with our five senses. There's that which with we see, smell, taste, touch, and hear, that which we can grab onto, that's a reality. That's, that's true. The, the chairs, our human bodies, everything that we can see, all the news that we hear, all of that is one reality. But then there's another reality, and that's the reality where the kingdom of God exists. And the Word of God says that the reality that you and I can encounter with our five senses is an inferior reality because all of this is passing away. It's temporal. But the reality of the kingdom of God is eternal. Now, here's the key. That reality that you are the most focused on is that which you will minister and live out of. In other words, if your reality is if the right person doesn't get elected to the United States presidency, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, then you're living in a reality that is not the kingdom of God. If you are upset and confused and stirred up because of the political situation, because of the governmental situation, because of whatever situation that has to do with a physical reality, you need to understand that you need to get your focus in a different place. The Word of God says in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That indeed, no matter what is taking place in our country or in the temporal reality, you and I can live with a peace that passes all understanding. Indeed, it says in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, he says, don't be anxious about anything. That covers whether Trump or Hillary gets into office. That covers no matter what happens with the stock market. That covers no matter what's happening with the wars and rumors of wars that we hear about. That covers everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but with everything, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You see, you've got to understand something. Jesus slept 
through a storm that absolutely terrified the most seasoned fishermen who had spent years on that sea. It terrified them to the place that they thought that they were going to die. And they woke him up and they were upset. Jesus was upset because he said, what are you guys worried about? I'm with you right here in the boat. And you guys ought to be the ones that speak peace to the storm. But since you don't get it yet, I'm going to do it. Peace be still. And the storm submitted to his authority. If you're in the midst of a storm, allow the reality of the kingdom to give you such a peace that you can say peace to it and it calms in your mind and in your heart. It may not calm in the temporal reality, but it'll calm in you. And when it calms in you, you walk into it and the atmosphere is going to change. The question is, what reality are you focused on? I want to take you into a, a story in Acts chapter 3 that is all about transformation. And it's about men by whom God began a revival and a transformation in one of the darkest cities in the world at that time. Look with me in Acts chapter 3, if you would, please. Acts chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple... He began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John... All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or our own piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. 
and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And you can stop reading. I'm not going to go any farther. It's good to read your Bible, but not when the preacher's preaching. Everybody smile. I want you to see the movement of the Holy Spirit in these men. First of all, I want you to see the movement of God in Peter and John. Let's get an understanding. You know, many times we read through the Bible, we read through these stories, we really don't have a clear understanding of timelines, how soon things have happened, what are the spaces of time that these have taken place. The commentators believe that the Bible uh, uh, folks that, that uh, write our commentaries tell us that this incident took place just a couple of weeks after the day of Pentecost. Now, if you know about the day of Pentecost, it was the day that the disciples and uh, about another hundred or so were gathered in an upper room. And it was during the uh, Feast of Pentecost where um, many Jews were gathered from all over the nations to come and celebrate the Feast of the Harvest. It was, it, it was a, a time of celebration and giving thanks to God for the harvest that he had given and would be giving again. And it was during that time that the Spirit of God that Jesus promised fell upon the disciples, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. They had flames of fire upon their heads, and there was a sound that was so loud that not only did the wind and the fire and the sound fill the room that the disciples were in, but there was a sound of the Holy Spirit coming into that city that actually stirred the multitudes of people to come to that central location to find out what was going on. It wasn't the disciples speaking in tongues. It wasn't the disciples praising God. There was a heavenly sound that was coming from heaven, and it created such a noise in that city that thousands of people came to find out what was going on. And if you've read Acts chapter 2 lately, you know that it was in that moment that Peter stood up and he began to preach the greatest sermon in all of church history, declaring what had happened with Jesus and then declaring to them that they could receive the same gift, the same gift of salvation and the same gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know on that day, it says over 3,000 people came into the kingdom, 3,000 men came into the kingdom. It was an amazing day. So we're just a few weeks after that. Ten days before that, the disciples and Jesus are standing uh, at the Mount of Ascension, and Jesus is giving them last-minute orders. And the wonderful thing I love about that moment, you have to see the humor in so much of the stories in the Gospels and the book of Acts. Jesus has been spending 40 days teaching them the resurrected Jesus, teaching them, training them, giving them last-minute instructions. And even on that day, when Jesus was telling them what was going to happen next, they asked him this question. Master, is this the time that God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you know how, why that question gives me such comfort? 
because they had just spent three and a half years with Jesus. They had just seen Jesus crucified. They had just seen Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus opened the scriptures to them, and they still didn't get the reason for which Jesus had really come. You know why that gives me comfort? Because sometimes I can be thick as a brick. Anybody else in the room? How many of you know that I can hear great preaching, I can hear great teaching, I can read great books, I can read my Bible, and there's still lots of things about what God is doing that I still don't get. Anybody else here? Anybody? So if the disciples didn't get it at that point, everybody take a deep breath and sigh of relief. (sighs) Jesus, you still love me. You're still patient with me. Hallelujah. So anyway, he rises into heaven, and they're all looking up, and they keep looking up, and they obviously stay there long enough that God sends angels to come down and say, hey guys, he ain't coming back. He's gone up, he ain't coming back, go do what he told you to do. You know, I mean, that's, once again, I, I just think it's hilarious. So 40 days before that time, Jesus rises from the dead. It's a resurrection. Three days before that, Jesus is crucified. And the night before his crucifixion is the worst day in Peter and John's life. Because it's at that moment that after spending three and a half years with this amazing teacher, their master, the one whom they said that they would give everlasting love and commitment to. They said that though all others forsake you, we will not forsake you. It was at that night when the rubber met the road, when they were called, the inner circle was called to pray with Jesus. You know, if if Randy Clark called me up and said, Mike, I want you to come and pray with me for a couple hours in the middle of the night, I would go. Number one, because he's my boss. Everybody smile. But <clears throat> number two, I, I would, you know, I mean, it's amazing to get to pray with Randy Clark or a Bill Johnson or other great men or women of God. So I would make sure that I did my best to stay awake. These guys couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Remember the story? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They go and Jesus says, please stay with me, friends, and pray with me. Jesus goes out. They come back and they're out. I mean, they're out like a light. Jesus has to wake them up and say, hey, guys, stick with me here. I'm really in distress, and I need you to pray with me. So he goes back, and he prays some more. He comes back, and, man, they're out of it again. I mean, they're sleeping. They're asleep on the job. And it's in that moment of betrayal of soldiers coming to get Jesus that Peter and John and the rest of the disciples not only betray him, uh, Judas betrays him, but the rest abandoned him. And Peter not only disowns him once, but disowns him three times, a third time with cursing in the earshot of Jesus. So we're only talking a period of about one to two months between the worst day in Peter and John's life and this day of a miracle. And if those folks would come in and we knew their history, we would say they're really disqualified. I mean, they really took a bad fall. This was a bad thing. I mean, they did 
to Jesus what most of us have never done. And that's the wonderful thing about this grace called the gospel of the kingdom. Is that no matter how disqualified you may feel you have been with your history, with your family background, with your life, with your behavior, with the things that you feel like that you still struggle with, religion says, unless you measure up to this standard, you're disqualified from being used by God. Anybody know who Bishop Joseph Garlington is? Anybody? Amazing man of God. He comes and preaches every year at Voice of the Apostles. And he has one statement that I absolutely agree with. That which you think disqualifies you actually qualifies you. And that which you think qualifies you actually disqualifies you. What does that mean? It means no matter what your history has been, when you turn your heart back to God and say, God, I know I've blown it. I've known I've, I've disqualified myself. I know I've abandoned everything that I said that I would do. But Jesus, I love you enough to say, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple again. I want to go with you. He takes his finger and he marks you again with anointing oil. And he says, you're mine. You've always been mine. You'll always be mine. You're qualified. Go and take my name and do what I call you to do in Jesus' name. And there's somebody in this room this morning that you feel like your history disqualifies you. You feel like your family background disqualifies you from really being one who can move in power, move in authority, move in really sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you're listening to a lie. The gospel of the kingdom declares that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when you receive the grace of Jesus Christ into your life, and by the way, that's not just once, that's every day. How many of you know we need grace every day? That when I receive that grace, I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That means I'm no longer defined by my history. I'm defined by who my Father calls me today. He calls me His beloved Son. He calls me one who is qualified. He calls me one who he wants to use for his glory. So say this with me. Because I am a new creation, I am no longer defined by my history. What I have been called or what I have called myself. I am defined by who my Father calls me. And he calls me his beloved child. I'm qualified. qualified. Turn to somebody and say, I'm qualified. qualified. And then turn and say, you're qualified. qualified. (laughs) So you've got to understand something. The Holy Spirit comes on you for your benefit to show you just exactly who you are in Christ. He lets you know that whatever identity you've had before Christ, it's wiped out under the blood of Jesus Christ. And even after you've come to Christ, when you've blown it a few times, when you failed Christ, when you failed your your family, when you failed others, 
the blood of Jesus Christ is still powerful enough to wipe away that failure and bring you to a place of favor, of blessing, and no shame in Jesus' name. So the Holy Spirit comes on you for you, for your identity, but then there's something else. He comes into you for you, but he comes upon you for others. And if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've not been empowered, then I'm telling you, you're missing out on the greatest ride of your life. Because you experience the fullness of abundant life and salvation by being filled with the Spirit of God. I want us to turn our attention away from Peter and John, and I want you to see this man. This man whom they touched is someone who walks the streets of Syracuse. He's a man who from out of his mother's womb came out lame. We don't know why. We don't know what the history is. But we know that when he came out of his mother's womb, everything from his waist down didn't work. And in that day, you were not only considered somebody who was disabled, but you didn't have all the amazing programs and all the amazing gadgets that they have for people who are disabled to help them. He had to depend upon everybody else to get his food, to take him places. He had to depend on everyone. And in his society, he was considered to be a cursed person because somebody who had that kind of defect born from his mother's womb was considered to be cursed and an outcast and somebody not to be around. So not only was he cursed by his society, but he was also cut out from the religious life of his community. You see, we know he was a Jew because you'll see in a moment, and you saw in the scripture, that once he was healed, he walked into the temple. In Levitical law at that time, if you were born with a defect in your body, you could not go into the temple to worship God. And in the law and in the worship culture of that day, the only place you could worship and pray to God was in the temple. So not only was he cursed in his body, was he cursed in his society, but he he was an outcast to his life with God. Cut off in every possible way. But what I do know about this man is that he was smart. In that he knew, because he understood Levitical law, that an act of worship could be counted if you gave alms to the poor, which is why he parked himself right in front of the temple. Somebody smile. Isn't that cool? He knew that he could get, he had the best place to be because he could get money by being parked right in the temple. Now, David, would you come on up here? (coughs) I'm going to use your amazing youth pastor as an illustration here. And he actually agreed to it. Isn't that awesome? Right there. So here he is. Here's this man. He's seated on the floor and he's got his hand up expecting, asking for alms, but he's got his head down. 
The reason why he's got his head down is that it was against the law for him to look in the face of anybody because he's somebody who's covered in shame because of his condition. And brothers and sisters, there are people all over this region in the streets of Syracuse that are covered over with shame, with guilt, with condemnation for things that they had nothing to do with. And they won't ever come to into our churches because they've been to church or they've heard about church. And what they've heard about church is we condemn people like that. We judge people like that. We reject people like that. But here's this man. And Peter and John walk up to him. Now here's an interesting thing. Peter and John are going into the temple. And this guy, it says, he's about 40 years old. He's been doing this for a number of years. He's been sitting there for a number of years. So you know what that tells me? Because Peter and John are faithful worshipers of God. They've walked by him before. Other disciples have walked by him before. Guess who else has walked by him before? What does that tell you and me? You see, we have this thing in our charismatic Pentecostal culture that we want to, if we have somebody who really needs a miraculous healing, that we need to take him to the man of God's power for the hour. We need to take him to the healer. We need to take him to the one who is popular as being the most anointed or the most gifted. And I'm telling you, the way the kingdom works is anybody who carries the Spirit of God is qualified for creative miracles, for healings, for transformation, for raising the dead. You don't need to get them to a Benny Hinn, a Randy Clark, a Bill Johnson, or anybody else. You just need to be the one in God's anointed timing to bring healing and transformation to them in Jesus' name. Could I get an agreement in the room? So Peter and John walk up to them, and for whatever reason, today, Peter notices him. Now, here's an interesting point about as you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, is that most of the most amazing miracles that took place in Jesus and the apostles' ministry was not when they were on treasure hunts, not when they were on mission trips. Now, I'm all for treasure hunts, mission trips, going out and ministering to people, But literally, it was on the way going someplace else. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to have our antenna up all the time. Because God's going to bring us, not when we're going to go minister to somebody, but when we're on our way to get that gallon of milk at the grocery store. When we're standing in Walmart, when we're going wherever we go, We need to have our antenna up because it could be at that moment that Holy Spirit says, reach out and touch and love on that person. And it would be at that moment that the glory of God uses us to bring transformation. So they're walking into the temple and Peter looks at him and he walks up to him and he says, look at us. So out of his shame, he looks at Peter and John and he says, he's got his hand out expecting to receive something. And Peter says, Sir, silver and gold I don't have because I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not what it says. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
<coughs> Let me go back again. <laughs> Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Now, here's the very important point. The man was expecting a coin. It has a tangible feel. You can feel a coin you know when it's in your hand. Jesus considered the power of the name of Jesus as tangible and as real as any coin he could have in his pocket. You see, because the enemy has taken the name of Jesus and made it in our culture like a curse word, and people say Jesus Christ every other word, we've had a tendency, even in the church, to devalue the power of the name of Jesus. But it says there's going to come a day in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what you and I carry is indeed one of the greatest powers in all the universe. It is the power of the name of Jesus. And he reached out to him, and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now, when I pull you up, you come up with a leap, okay? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Here he goes. Yeah. Now, listen. For the first time in 40 years, this man stood on his own two feet. His muscles, his tendons, his bones... Every bit in the structure of his body that made him stand and walk was immediately and quickly created, transformed. So he would begin to walk, start walking. He started leaping because he was happy, and he started praising God. Come on, give it up for David. Didn't he do a good job? Good job, man. And that, my friends, is the picture of the full salvation that is available for us in Jesus Christ. Not just saved to go to heaven, but the abundant life that Jesus promised. Healed, physically healed, emotionally healed. You know, you don't leap if your favorite football team lost today, right? Is that right? But you do leap when they actually win a game. And there's lots of Cubs fans that are leaping like crazy even today. And then you also praise God because you understand that the source is not from a man. The source of your healing is from God. And here's the most beautiful thing in this. The very next thing he did was that he walked into the temple with Peter and John for the very first time in his life to worship God. His religious life, his life with God was completely restored. Now what happened next, and this is, this is the key point, my friends. What happens next is that Peter preaches another sermon because of this miracle. And on this day, over 5,000 people come into the kingdom. Then there comes some persecution because when the Spirit of God moves, the enemy tries to get, bring persecution your way to get you to back off. How many of you know that? 
How many of you know when you really begin to step into the things of God, you're going to take a little heat, you're going to get a little resistance? That's why James says, don't be surprised. Don't be concerned about the trials that are coming your way. You're going to get some trials because the enemy wants to back you off the stance that you've taken. So they get a little heat, they come back to church, they pray, the Spirit of God comes upon them, the building that they're meeting in is shaken, and it begins a momentum of transformation and revival that brings revival and salvation into the darkest city of the earth at that moment, which was Jerusalem. You know why Jerusalem was the darkest city? Because just two months before, the people of Jerusalem had cried out for Jesus the Son of God's crucifixion. And they said, let his blood be upon us. And they created a curse upon them that began to be broken when the Spirit of God began to move through the disciples, bringing salvation, healing, and deliverance in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, I don't care how dark you think your city is. I don't care how oppressive it is. I don't care how much you think that there's no hope here. You need to get your eyes off of the temporal reality and see the glory that God is getting set to release in Syracuse upon Faith Chapel and upon this entire region. It says, in, it says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And I'm telling you, he's not going to do it through a glory cloud. He's not going to do it through a bunch of angels. They don't get to do that. Guess who gets to bring the glory of God to every corner of the earth? You and me. That's how it happens. Everyone is qualified to do it if you'll simply say yes. If you'll simply say, I'm available. If you'll simply realize that you don't need a theological degree, you don't need to have some kind of awesome history in God, all you have to do is say yes this morning to say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do to spread your love. Because brothers and sisters, that's what the whole thing is about, is spreading his love everywhere we go. Now today at Faith Chapel, The greatest challenge for this kind of church today is the fact that you and I live in a culture and a time today that people are not naturally coming to church anymore. Sunday is not a day set aside in our society to worship God. Everything else in the world is coming against that model. (coughs) What I want to say to you is this. That's why God is raising up an army at this moment to break every chain. To break every chain. To break every chain. And what happens is we go out, as Jesus said, to the highways and byways, and we bring them in. And it's not Pastor Jim and Kelly's, Pastor David and Sarah's responsibility. It's their responsibility to equip you and train you and impart to you and release to you. It's your responsibility to to fulfill the call of God upon your life. And that is to take your testimony and declare it throughout this entire region. 
So right now, I just want you to stand with me right now. I wonder this morning if there's anybody in this room that before you walked in, and by the way, I want Mary and Andrea and Lori to come on up here and join me. The rest of the ministry team, after I get done praying, if you'll just come up as well, that would be great. But I want to say to you, if there's anybody this morning that you came in here and you felt like, well, I'm here for church and then I'm out of here, going to go do my own thing, and I want to say to you, that's not what this is about. Yeah, you still get to do your own thing, but you get to do it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and on the way to doing what you need to do. Maybe God will use you to raise up a lame man. It is God's intention to use you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring love to those who nobody else loves, to bring acceptance to those who desperately need just somebody to love on them. And folks, they won't come to church without you bringing them. And so I just, I'm going to pray this morning for a fresh anointing upon every person in this room. Many of you know that I have a ministry of bringing healing to folks with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm telling you, folks with post-traumatic stress disorder will not come to church because they found church to not be a safe place. I believe Faith Chapel is a safe place. Could I get an agreement in the room? But they need you to introduce them to this safe family. To adopt someone into a family You need somebody to say, come and join us. Not just join the church, but join the family of God. And I I just want to pray for an anointing, a fresh anointing upon everyone in this room. For not just evangelism, we talk about evangelism a lot, but an anointing for creative miracles, for signs and wonders, for the glory of God to fill every heart, that you walk out of here carrying a glory by which everywhere you go, there goes the kingdom. You see, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, God is calling Joshua to fill the sandals of Moses. And he has to say to Joshua over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. The reason why he had to say that was because, Mo- because Joshua was scared to death. Anybody scared to death? A few of us? And this is what he said to Joshua. Every place you put the sole of your foot, I have given to you. And I say to everyone in this, who wants this? Raise your hand if you want this. I say to you in Jesus' name, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that the glory of God is going to go with you to every place, both dark as well as light. Every place you go, the glory of God is going to be upon you. And every place you put the sole of your foot, That's where the kingdom goes. That's where the glory goes. That's where the love of God goes. And in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, whatever grace God has given me to bring this message, I give to everyone in this room now in Jesus' name. Come in power, Holy Spirit. Come and move in power now in Jesus' name. Begin to just manifest yourself in love, in compassion, in grace, in mercy, But most of all, in the confidence in knowing that wherever I go, that's where glory goes. That's where the kingdom goes. That's where love goes. I am qualified. Say that with me. I am qualified.
for the glory of God, to go with me wherever I go. In Jesus' name. Come on, give thanks to God, will you?